So I take him out and he's just like a goofball. He's just like jumping around, like, you know, uh, wanting to play. And I'm just kind of like, all right, dude, I'm just taking you out because I don't have a dog to pull. So I remember going up Canine Hill and like, as we're like walking, he's just kind of like growing on me because he's just like a sweetheart. What's up, everyone? Hope you're well, and thank you for tuning into the podcast. Our guest for this episode is a Marine Corps veteran who served eight years filling various billets, such as the military work dog handler, specialized search dog handler, military work dog trainer, and a military work dog team deployment training course instructor. He started his career in Camp Pendleton, California, with 1st Law Enforcement Battalion's military work dog platoon under the 1st Marine Expeditionary Force. There, he was selected to attend the SSD course at Lackland Air Force Base, and upon returning to Camp Pendleton, he was assigned to SSD Sabre, Tango 653. Together, Magic and SSD Sabre conducted numerous training exercises and supported security operations both stateside and overseas. Magic also filled billets such as the chief trainer for Camp Beller's military working dog section in Okinawa, Japan, and as a military working dog team deployment training course instructor at YPG in Yuma, Arizona. In this episode, we discuss Magic's experiences as a handler, trainer, and instructor within the Marine Corps' military work dog program and his transition from active duty service into the civilian sector. Please allow me to introduce you to Rosendo Madrigal. Right, so Magic, uh, it's been a long time coming. Glad to have you on. So I really appreciate your time, you know, to come in and talk about K-9 and, you know, what you're doing out, outside of the Marine Corps. So appreciate your time. Yeah, no problem. You know, I'm happy to do this and uh, really excited for you to to have started this because it was something that, you know, I had thought, but not to, I guess, your your mindset of how you're doing it. So uh, I'm really enjoying it, listening to everyone that you've had on and just looking forward to the future of it. Cool. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate that. And hopefully uh, it continues on and, you know, as part of the journey, just telling the Marine Corps story. So for, you know, those who don't know who you are, um, can you you mind just like giving a brief rundown of you know who you are, where you grew up, and how you got into the Marine Corps? Yeah, so um, real name is uh, Rosendo Madrigal, but nobody calls me that. Everyone just calls me Magic. Uh, I was born and raised in Walton, Indiana, uh, but there was a short span of like four years where I lived in Mexico. Pretty much after I was born, we moved there uh, where my family's from, Michoacan. And grew up there, and pretty much once I turned five is when we came back to Indiana so I can start kindergarten. So first language was Spanish, came to uh, the United States, you know, um, not knowing any English. So kindergarten was a little rough and uh, had some cousins that would play pranks on me and tell me to say bad words. And I thought, you know, they meant something else. Um, Grew up in a small farm town. Uh, I think our population's like maybe like 2000. Uh, I was the only a Latino guy in my graduating class. So, you know, that was interesting once I, I left there and went to the West Coast. Uh, but growing up, um, you know, was just kind of used to 
the small town and the cornfields and just kind of wanted to get out of there. And I, uh, I was good at school, looked at, you know, going to college. Uh, but I just felt like it, it wasn't for me. And I had two cousins that were in the Marines that, you know, I looked up to and uh, kind of would ask them questions and just saw that they were always like traveling and like getting to do, you know, all these things. But um, when I told them that I wanted to join the Marines, you know, like any other Marine that has embraced the suck, they uh, try to convince me otherwise. And they were like, you know, look at other branches. They're like, look at the Air Force. But I was pretty stubborn and, you know, I reached out to my uh, Marine recruiter when I was like 17 years old because I was like, I'll just, you know, go early, go like during the summertime. My parents will sign off for me. Uh, but the Marine recruiter that I met at the time was just kind of like grimy. Like, you know, like when you think of Marines, you see all the commercials and like you just think of these studs and he was just kind of like a slob. Like, so I kind of got a bad taste in my mouth for him. So that's when I started looking at the uh, Air Force, you know, PJ or CCT. And I was like, you know, if I'm going to go in any other branch, like I want a contract that's going to be straight into, um, you know, the tip of the spear. So I, I like started training for that, just running, um, knew I wasn't the greatest swimmer. So I joined like the swim team um, and was just preparing myself. And I told the swim coach, I'm like, Hey, like, I'm just trying to be here for, you know, the, the PT, the exercise, like I'm not trying to compete. Um, but I was good at the backstroke. So he like wanted me to start doing the meets and I was like, all right, I'm quitting. So then I just got a membership at the Y and just started swimming there. Um, but I could never get in touch with the Air Force recruiter. Like I would try to call him. He was like, like probably like 30, 40 minutes away. So it was a little bit difficult for me to like drive there. He was never in the office. And then at that point, a buddy that was a year ahead of me reached out to me. He just got like, you know, back from boot camp and everything. And he was trying to get his points so he can get Lance Corporal. Of course. Uh, and, and the new recruiter was in town. So, you know, he convinced me to go. Um, met him and he you know seemed like a cool guy so we started talking and um i i honestly like didn't really know that there was like a wide variety of jobs in the marine corps uh and once i kind of like learned i was like oh gosh like i just started kind of looking and you know i stumbled across uh military working dog handler so i was like oh, i want to do that and you know i started kind of doing as much research as i could and it was like I like couldn't find much like, you know, like, I mean, the internet was still, um, I, I would say like growing to where there's not like a lot of, uh, forums and stuff like that, or like YouTube videos where people will go on there like now, especially in the military. But I did stumble across, uh, Mike Dowling's book, nice. um, Sergeant Rex. So I, I actually like read that book and I was like, you know, I definitely want to do, um, you know, military working dog handler. And my recruiter was like, well, you got to do military police. Um, so I was like, yeah, I'll go do military police. Not really having any intention of actually like wanting to be the military police. You know, I, I like just wanted to be a handler, like, like whatever it takes. Um, and it's funny, like, cause um, once I read Mike's book, you know, I had Twitter back then. I remember like tweeting at him cause he had a Twitter. <laughs> And uh, he actually like tweeted me back and I like took a screenshot of it. I was like, oh, this is so cool. Like, you know, before I joined the Marines and, uh, you know, crazy that like four years down the road, we actually crossed paths and we actually uh, met up like earlier this month. We went up um, 
during 9-11 to the memorial there at Pendleton. So awesome. it's it's nice to just, um, you know, know him. He's a really cool dude. And uh, just hearing his stories is, is awesome. Um, so once once I was set on, you know, military police to go be a canine handler, I had graduated. Uh, I had like a week and a half of summer, and then I was just straight off to boot camp. And my second day of boot camp was my birthday. And I was just like, you know, at that point, I was kind of like, what did I just do? Um, you know, boot camp, we all have our, our funny boot camp stories and our experiences. And um, it was, it was, you know, it was fun. Like looking back at it now, you just like laugh at everything. Um, and towards the end of boot camp is, you know, when we started finding out like, you know, our, our MOSs and stuff like that. Cause you know, you sign your contract for 58 XX and I didn't know that there was like, you know, the military police side and then there was the brig side. Oh yeah. So corrections. like, yeah, corrections. So there's that like slight, you know, if you go corrections, you can never be a handler. And right back then it was like all the correction Marines would go to San Antonio where, you know, all the canine schools are. So it's like, you have all these correction Marines that wanted to be dog handlers, but now they, will never have the opportunity to do that. Um, so when they told me Fort Leonard Wood, I was like, oh, okay, you know, that. boom, saving grace. I'm, I have a chance um, <laughs> because, you know, everyone that you meet that's a handler, like nobody knows that, you know, you had to like go to MP schoolhouse and, you know, right now they're doing nothing but pipelines, but it's like, it's not guaranteed. Like it, it's literally just kind of like fate. Like if it happens, you know, it happens and, happens for a reason so go to mp schoolhouse so um this was 2013 uh after boot camp like september time and i get there and i'm in the meps platoon or not meps sorry Ma the, uh, yeah the map Ma platoon yeah map platoon um and i felt like i was there for like two months in map platoon like just never ending um and once I finally pick up, uh, you know, I'm just I, like at this point, I'm like supermoto, like just, you know, doing everything, you know, still brainwashed from boot camp. So I'm like supermoto, that high and tight, just trying to be the best, like competing against everyone, trying to be the fastest, you know, for PFT, CFT, everything. Because, um, you know, I want to just prove myself so I could get the opportunity to go canine. And um, our MP school um house actually like got extended two weeks because we we're like a guinea pig um class so they wanted to add more stuff to the curriculum down the road so they decided to test it with us and we were there um probably like it felt i think it was like three four weeks longer than everyone else uh and once we like we're supposed to get our orders. We never got our orders, but the previous two, three classes, they were all getting Okinawa, Japan orders. Oh, so we're all just kind of like expecting that. Like, we're just like, oh, great. Here we go. Like everyone talks about Okinawa, Japan kind of from the start. And I remember it was like, like a Monday morning, you know, we're all getting up, getting ready for the day. And like somebody one of the older like Marines, he was like in his 27, 28. So, you know, the, the grand old man of the Marine Corps. Um, <laughs> he like apparently like kept checking his MOL and then saw that he had orders and it said, um, I want to say Pendleton is like the ruck or the MCC code. 
Yeah, so we like are trying to Google find out, and like we knew we all had the same code as him, at least forty five of us. Um, and once we found out and like saw that it was Camp Pendleton, we all just like started to celebrate it, like just like oh, like this is awesome. And then there's I think only like five um, that ended up going to like Buford or somewhere in the East Coast, and I think it was like maybe three that ended up going overseas. Um, but towards the end of, of the schoolhouse, um, we had uh, a little like interview. So it was uh, by Gunny Eslick. So he was, you know, one uh, um, a marine dog handler. And uh, he apparently was in contact with Pendleton and they needed handlers. So he did a little um, interview to just see who had, you know, the potential to be a dog handler. Um, and I say a little bit, it ended up being like, 45 people being interested and he interviewed 45 people. So every last one of them, all 45. Every, yeah. And, and I was like, I was nervous at this point. Man. Um, but during, um, the schoolhouse, like I said, I was like super moto and I was, I want to say like, I was an asshole, but I just like, you know, wanted to do everything right. And like by the book that like my roommates were kind of, you know, turds, and like I would always like get on them about stuff and like just be on them and keeping them accountable and like I wasn't even a squad leader or anything but I just like wanted us to always be on top of our our, our stuff and uh, when it came down to the interview one of the questions was like you know is there anybody else that you think deserves this position um, and they all you know all three of them said me because they knew like my my intentions and like my goals like I would always say you know I'm gonna be a dog handler like no matter what um so I I always you know thank them because I feel like you know because of them like uh I got the opportunity but I honestly didn't find out that I was going to canine until I, um I landed in San Diego so they never told us like the results of the interview and I remember I was on the last flight and I ended up paying like, you know, the $20 for the Wi-Fi on the flight. Right. And we had like a little group chat and like the people that flew out before me, you're just like seeing like, oh, this person got canine. Oh, this person got canine. This person got canine. So it was like four people because they're only picking five. Uh, four people like were already like they knew they're going canine. And I'm like on this last flight, like my heart's just like dropping because I'm like, gosh dang it like maybe it was like just people on earlier flights and i remember uh landing and the two of the corporal canines they you know were like are you i thought it was like pfc he's like pfc magical and they're like i was like yeah and they're like all right you're coming with us you're going canine and i was like you know like <laughs> ecstatic, ecstatic but you know exhausted at the same time and so we we ride from san diego to camp pendleton and, and their pov and uh the rest of the people like get shuttled uh, i don't remember in what i think it just buses so we get we get to the barracks room and they just like give us our rooms and they're like just be down here like at i think it's like 6 30 or something so we all like go in our rooms and just like pass out it's probably like 10 10 30 and then the rest of the night though you just hear like the rest of the guys in the line companies just getting messed up. Like it's, it's Chinese field day. You just hear oh, yeah. like things getting slammed, tossed around. You see like uh, mattresses getting thrown off third deck. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm laying in my rack, like, Oh my gosh. Like, 
typical thank welcoming God. party for the bears yeah <laughs> so i'm like thank god i'm going canine but you know i had a rude awakening when when uh i, I got to kennels because it was like non-stop like we were not like allowed to like sit down we were like oj ting like even though we got selected we're like technically oj ting and right checking in to check out so it was like a like a hybrid pipeline uh because we checked into our unit and then we just immediately checked out but like at all times we were just like spraying kennels like getting you know taught little things going over you know the the dog ammo can and um pretty much once we were done with that and um it it definitely didn't put a good taste in the mouth of like other handlers or you know people that became handlers but they had ojt for like a year year and a half and had waited you know in the line companies like they were pretty butthurt about it so we like instantly created a lot of enemies and just got taught or like treated like boots yeah I can uh, see that. obviously because we were but uh we went to handlers course this was man is it like late 2013 maybe 2014? yeah it was, it was late because i was just tad so much that it's like hard to just piece everything so right it was no it was beginning in 2014 so okay. it was it was like february 2014 and um yeah i mean handlers course was was handlers course like I, I don't think i have like any crazy you know stories from there but once once i finished handlers course i got back in like july time of 2014 um and then once i got there we all started kind of getting assigned our dogs and uh all five of us one one guy got the drug dog and then the rest of us were uh, patrol explosive detection dogs, so, you know, the dual dual capable dogs. Right. Uh, two of the the handlers they got, you know, their their push button dogs, so the dog did everything. Um, then the other guy, he got he got uh, no. There's two drug dogs, and I ended up getting a green ped. His name was Idle, and he had been sitting in the kennels for like three months, like hadn't really been touched. Um, you know, I'm not going to talk bad about people, but, uh, the, the dog was assigned to the kennel master. So the dog was never pulled. Um, and I remember like, I would just get like, wait, can I curse on this? Yeah, you can you can curse. Okay. Go. okay, I would just get shit on because they'd be like, "Oh, like you can't handle this dog. It's not the dog. It's you." But like this dog right. ended up getting like, you know, pushed pushed out of the the program. Um, uh, ended up going to PMO, but like he was just sketchy dog. Like had no good drive for bite work or detection, and uh, they assigned me a second dog. His name was Kai. And he was like straight from uh, Lackland, and uh, like he was he was a teddy bear. He was like ninety five pounds, like big old mal, like maligator. But like you would show him uh, a wrap or bite suit, like didn't care. He'd just like try to jump on you, but would even like bite. And then like you'd like try to do detection with him, and he'd just like roll on his back and like want belly rubs. And we're like, what just want to play, hell? yeah, like just want to play. It's like 
what's wrong with this dog? So he ended up getting sent back to Lackland. And I finally got assigned to a, a good dog, uh, Lotor. He was, he was like push button dog. Like that dog, you know, I'd been there for a while. Went on, I think like one or two deployments. And, uh, you know, finally I'm like, this is awesome. You know, I have a good dog, like super excited. Uh, but at the same time, I was still pulling all three dogs at the same time. Um, just because they hadn't like got either sent away. Um, so while everyone was pulling their one dog, I would bring out all three dogs, you know, do drills with them. Um, and they noticed that, you know, like my work ethic to where, um, I remember, going into kennels like one weekend because I was there like every day and like I would stay after work and just work with the dogs and um I went in one weekend to pull Lotor and um I like go to his kennel and he's not there and I'm like what the hell is going on so I go to the kennel duty um and it was one of the NTOs that I wasn't fond of uh but that person was like, oh, um, they took him to 29 Palms because the dude's handler, uh, his dog, you know, is having issues. So they wanted to to take a good dog up there. So I'm like, well, how long are they going to be up there? And it was like a two week little training trip. So I'm like, well, you know, I was super excited to start working this dog. And now I don't have a dog. Well, they were like, hey, like I'm leaving soon. So you can go pull my dog. But, you know, like if you don't like a handler, like you don't like their dog. Right. So, but I was like, you know what, I'll, I'll go pull this dog. And the dog happened to be Saber. So, you know, I take Saber out. He's a lab, you know, at this point, like when you're a handler, like you want to do like the bite work stuff, like all the cool stuff with, with the German shepherd or a Mal. So I take him out and he's just like a goofball. He's just like jumping around, like, you know, uh, wanting to play. And I'm just kind of like, all right, dude, I'm just taking you out. Cause I don't have a dog to pull. So I remember going up Canine Hill and like, as we're like walking, he's just kind of like growing on me because he was just like a, a sweetheart. And um, the next week, that week when we came back, um, Monday, uh, something happened with one of the handlers that was supposed to go to SSD school with three other dudes. Uh, so his school seat opened and just because I, you know, I was working three dogs at one time. They're like, hey, like, we're going to send you to the school. So I was like pumped, you know, I just got back from handlers course and to go to specialized search dog school, like immediately after it was pretty rare. Um, and, you know, I was excited, but the three guys that had been OJTing for, you know, a year, year and a half that, you know, went to handlers course and uh, now SC school, they're kind of like, not happy about it they're like you literally just were given all these schools so I kind of got like the cold shoulder from them but like like I said my my intentions was always like you know my goals where it's like I'm not here to please those guys so I'm not like gonna go out of my way to you know be their friends if they're not trying to be cool like whatever but um now they're like you know some of my best friends like talk to these dudes and I'll give them crap about it like you remember how you guys taught me or treated me like shit during that time but um so about what time is this this was this was like September time of 2014 and um you know go to SSD school and at that time it was it was mainly uh army instructors um they were all like engineer dudes and then that's when um 
Tasiko was there, uh, but he was kind of out the door while while we were there. And then Araggio ended up showing up. So um, we were there for it's like two and a half months because they they condensed it. I know it used to be like five months right. before. Um, so we're there for up until December because I remember. Yeah, we got back in December. 2014 and then i i remember i like took leave and that was like the most amount of leave i ever took i went home for you know i was like 23 days uh because i knew like pretty much once i got back i was there just training and then i went immediately straight tad to human proving grounds so right uh going to human proving grounds in february time frame and i was like i was scared because you know like this course was you know, the course that you were supposed to go to before you deployed. And I was like, I'm not ready. Like, you know, you, you, you learn the basics and kind of like the fundamentals of SSD school, but it's like, once you get back to a fleet, they pretty much tell you, Hey, brain dump all that. You're going to do it this way. So, um, it was to me, I was kind of like nervous because I'm like, I don't feel like I'm ready. Like we did a quick, uh, validation certification, um, then going to YPG, you know, going there with, Nieto and sword and um them it's like you just hear the stories of all of them and how it's like a slave fest but uh yeah going to ypg was was awesome yeah it it was a slave fest but just kind of like learning from them and 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 the training you know was awesome um and this was so like that so by the time you got to to yuma how how long were you on saber at that point did you take saber down to ssd school with you yeah, I took him down to SSD school, and that was... So essentially maybe like three, four months around there? Yeah, it was like three, four, it was like three, four months. Okay. Um, and, you know, going from, I think, on-leash to off-leash and, and that kind of quick turnaround time, it's it's a big, big, uh, big step because, you know, on-leash, you, you can always feel like the dog pull or just kind of throw change of behavior to when you're off leash, you're, you're trying to do your like pre-search assessments kind of scanning. And like, you know, that like one millisecond of you kind of looking in one area that you want to send your dog to, it's like the dog's throwing a change that you didn't notice and, and he's working it, but now you're redirecting him in that, in that area that you wanted to search, you know, it, it can throw you guys off. Right. Um, yeah, for sure. So going to YPG and now throwing, you know, tactics into it, throwing visuals and, and just kind of the the stressors of of you know getting gunfire and everything was was a big you know curveball for me. Right. Um, but it was it was fun. You know, I, I definitely learned a lot from there, and, and just my confidence kind of uh, went through the roof because I remember uh, you know having to spit out our our sit reps and everything like that. Um, I remember sword. He, he gave me crap one time because like he could just tell that I was like nervous and he like <laughs> had me like keep repeating it. And like, he's like, again, and I like was repeating it, repeating it. And he's like, again, and I was like, what am I messing up? But he was just doing it to like, see, you know, if I was going to break down or something. Mess up. Yeah. Just break down. Your skin. And I was like, yeah, he's just intimidating, intimidating dude, oh, just yeah. big dude, deep voice. And I was like, oh gosh, like why me? But yeah, I, I loved it. And, uh, it was, you know, always good times and the army and Navy was still going through, but I think we, it was just Marines and, and army, um, class, but 
uh, met some cool dudes, you know, that ended up, I ended up running uh, across down, down, you know, my, my career. Um, and once I was done with, with uh, YPG, I got back and I think I was back for like a week. And then it, I ended up going like 29 Palms for like two weeks. Right. Was that for um, um like, a, what is it like the CACs out there or something like that? Or um, I'm, I can't remember the, the name. It was like, I don't want, I want to say Steel Knight. It was um, like for one of those training evolutions. Like ITX or and, something. Just yeah, it was like an ITX. Yeah. We, uh, we ended up like doing a rotation of like four dog teams. So we were only out there for like two weeks. Um, and literally like, so this is like still beginning in 2015, but like 2015 was just like filled with like TAD trips, like yeah. TAD trips to like homemade explosive courses, TAD trips to like, I think we even went to like a, a narcotics, like identification course, just anything we can kind of get sent to just more knowledge. Like we were getting sent uh, to those places. And at this point, this is, you know, when, when Chris Willingham, you know, came to the kennel. So it was like, super productive just getting us as much exposure as possible getting to you know train with engineers um you know infantry the recon dudes uh getting uh cross training with like the marsoc dudes there in the west coast and just getting exposed to you know everything from like helo to or air amphibious and, and ground and um it was you know awesome for for young handler because not a lot of the kennels you know the mefs from Pendleton, Lejeune, and Okinawa, where we're doing that. Right. Um, so I felt like during this time, you know, with Sable and Willingham and just some of the other senior handlers that, you know, I just got back from Afghanistan, like we were, we were rolling, um, just constantly doing awesome training and, and just prepared for anything. Yeah, that's good. Um, How did um, and so the, you mentioned like the, all the guys that got back recently from Afghanistan uh, and you were at, so first law enforcement battalion, correct? Right. Camp Pendleton. Yes. So this is the MEF MWD platoon to support. So how, how is that environment working along kind of like some senior, some senior handlers that have been around and had a lot of experience? It was, um, you know, it was, it was tough kind of as a young handler because, you know, they, they treated you like a boot, but it was, it was for a reason. Like, you know, they, they, they didn't want, anything to happen to us so they were pretty rough on us but once you know we were there for a while and just kind of you know they saw that we were good dudes then they they treated us you know like just brothers sisters um and some of those dudes you know are, are like some of my best friends right now um and talk to them still but it was it was definitely like when you first got there you you didn't feel like you belong there. Right. Like you had to earn your, your spot there. And like, th that's how it is, you know, in canine. Um, and they were, you know, just doing training to kind of prepare us for that. Like I remember um, when we first like started doing kind of like training scenarios with our plate carriers and stuff like that. I think only a few of us like actually ever like had our side sappies in, but it was um, when Joey, Joey Nunez came back from his deployment and he got hit. Yep by a sniper on his side sappy like you, the next week like everyone had their side sappies on <laughs> uh so it was just like little things like that um you know those guys coming out kind of teaching us stuff like anything that they would teach us it was like we 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 took that and we like implemented it in our training um yeah i remember when uh so we got to afghanistan we relieved that group 
and we heard that and we're like, wow, well, okay, cool. And that's pretty intense. Definitely having our side, uh, side sappies in, you know, show us picture in the bruise. I mean, it's pretty, pretty gnarly, you know? Yeah. And then, um, the interesting story with that, they, he actually like snuck his shrapnel in and his dog's vest and we were able to put it in his, uh, and it's going away box. So it was, it was pretty, pretty cool to do that for him. Um, but yeah, with, with them being there and our, our training, just really getting focused, you know, it was all always like deployment focused and, uh, you know, having, having the trainers that we had, it was like, we were, we were grinding, like, but we were proud of it. Like we loved just like training and always being there. Like we were pretty much there, like I'd say 14, 16 hours a day, just at all times doing training or just hanging out. And on weekends we were always together. Or, like we always just go to the kennels um, to be there with our dogs. And then it was like fall time in, in 2015. Um, it was in uh, Pope Francis ended up going to Philly. So there was, I want to say like 150, 160 dog teams that ended up going in like three to 400 EOD techs. So we we ended up giving getting like you know a waiver since we weren't certified to like go and uh, i think there was like eight of us from from one map that ended up going so that was that was like pretty cool experience like getting to go there and and i remember uh willingham was like bring a suit you know uh in case you get a cool detail so i like i brought a suit and like two polos and like three outfits pretty much uh, and I think we were there for like five days, but I only worked three days and, um, they gave us kind of our, our packets and told us like, you know, what entry control point to like be at, we had our rentals and it was mainly the EOD techs that stayed within like the, the inner of the city. So the rest of us pretty much had to wake up early, drive like an hour and a half just to go in there. And like, there was no real, um, like plan of like entry and exit. So I remember showing up and they gave me like my little like badge that I wore on like my neck. And then I had my little like car uh, badge thing too. And I'm like third attempt, just trying to go in somewhere. And they're like, no, you have to go over there. And like, I was, I was like over at this point and I, I pull up to like one area, there's like some national guard um, people there. And I just like, I just flashed them like my little car badge thing that says, you know, like see your service, like whatever Pope Francis. And they like look at each other and they're like, um, I think this is the guy we got to let in. And I was like, yes, <laughs> to me. Of course. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So they, they like open up these barriers, like moving for me and I like go in and once I'm in, I'm like, all right, you know, I'm good. Nice. But then there's like a second entry control point And then I get stopped by like, uh, Philadelphia. It, it was like, some some local like uh canine guy there and he's like hey uh i'm gonna have to search your vehicle and i'm like i'm kind of like looking at him like uh I, I you know i can get out and like search my own vehicle he's like i know it's dumb he's like i was like all right just know like my dog's back there uh, but he was cool and once i was in like you know i was pretty much like one of you know maybe 10 other vehicles that were in and I was like, I'm not waiting for red lights. I just started just running kind of all the red lights. <laughs> just and, breaking uh, the law. You know, find, <laughs> find a place to park and I go to my gate 
like literally like the logistics of this uh whole mission was like non-existent right so i go to the gate where i'm supposed to go i'm like so i decided to wear my suit because i'm like you know he said if we have a suit we might get like a cool detail so i wear it first day because i'm like maybe you know i'll get to go do something cool so i go to like my entry control point i'm in my suit and um I just start searching. I just start, you know, people are coming in. I start like searching like carts that are coming in with food, just start searching like luggage. And I do this probably for like 15, 20 minutes. And the secret service dude comes up to me and he's like, he's like, Hey bro, uh, who are you with? And I was like, what? He's like, what like agency are you with? I was like, Oh, I'm one of the Marines. And he's like, oh, he's like, oh, we thought you were Secret Service just because you were wearing a suit. Like, because everyone else there, like the EOD techs, the other handlers were wearing polos and stuff. Polos and like tack pants or Lu- something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but luckily, luckily it was cool that day. So like, I mean, the suit kept me warm. Nice. <laughs> but I learned, learned my lesson and, you know, wore polos for the rest of the day. But yeah, yeah. Um, yeah it was, it was a really cool experience getting to do that um, with the Secret Service and other agencies and just meeting people. Um and once once that was done i just you know came back and that's when you know the special mag taps were going on all these deployments the muse um so we were just kind of everyone was like praying that they would you know get picked for for either a special mag tab nobody really wanted to go on the mule uh but we, we would take anything at this point um but during this time is is when the regional kennels was in the works and that was you know um one and two MEF deploying uh, four handlers from each um, kennels, and then they would rotate the the kennel masters and the trainers. Um, so I was, you know, fortunate enough to get picked for the first rotation. So it was four of us from Pendleton and four from uh, two MEF. So um, we were, you know, super pumped about this opportunity. And uh, this was like March of 2016. Um, and all, all the time in between was just, you know, training, doing pre-deployment, taking leave. Um, so we finally go, um, you know, overseas. We, we're going to Camp Beering um, in, in Kuwait. So we take over these contractor kennels and, you know, we're, we're all kind of like hyped, you know, thinking that we're going to get to go you know, either Afghanistan, Iraq, or at the, at this time is when Syria was kind of, uh, heating up. Um, you know, when we get there, um, I'm like just focused on training, like just doing everything possible at this, at this time I was really honing in on just like, um, Sabres radio, um, training. So I started training him on radios and I would just, um, go to like the, the outer perimeter of, of Camp Uring and just, you know, push out his distance to where, you know, if I get attached to like infantry unit and I can just push him out good distance. Um, I was, I was working that just everything, you know, from tactics. And then while I was there, we got to do some, um, training with like their QRF. And then I got to do like a, uh, air assault package with the iron sides. Uh, um, it's like a, a mechanized infantry unit for the army. Um, and, Finally, there was like a tasker that came out there. They're requesting four uh, dog teams to go to Syria. Uh, I can't remember the airfield. So, um, you know, find out that like I'm one of the dog teams that that they're wanting to send. So I'm like super pumped. 
And then I think it was like later that night or the next night, we find out that there was already like uh, army handlers that were like tasked out for it. And I want to say it was um, the army reserve dog handlers. It's like only one kennel is somewhere in the East Coast. So. Wow, that's interesting. I've heard of it before, but I didn't think it was real or anything like that. Some 31 kilo reserve unit. Yeah. So I, we were we were all like butthurt. Like we we were like, are you serious? Like we're already here. Like the whole purpose of us is, you know, to do this. Like now they're having to fly out these people from the States. Uh, but you know, Willingham was our kennel master at the time. And he's like, Hey, I want these guys to come through and I want to just do a quick little, you know, two weeks training with them. So I, I know these guys are ready to go. Um, and they land at Beering and they tell me they're like, Hey, um, you know, Sabre's good. You know, outside of the kennels, like, uh, we're going to need you to take up, um, his, or take him out of the kennel and take him to tent with you. Uh, so all the army dogs can fit in our kennels. So I'm even like more butthurt. Like, you know, one, I don't get to go on this mission Two, Now they take Sabre's kennel. So I'm, I'm pretty like just salty about them, like being there. Uh, but they literally like were there for like a day and a half and like they ended up having to leave early. So they didn't even get to do like any training, you know, hopefully, you know, nothing happened and, and they're able to go there and do work, like nothing against them. You know, I was just, I was salty. Um, and do you know where they went? Did they leave like to go back home or did they go to somewhere else? No, they went, they went to Syria. Yeah. They, they went to Syria. Um, for, I can't remember the name of the airfield. Um, but yeah, they got to go do some work. So at this point I'm pretty like just down, like it's, it's towards the end of the deployment. Um, and it was like a month before we were supposed to get back and like, I already get, a message saying like, Hey, we're taking you off Sabre. Um, and that was like heartbreaking. I'm like, okay, one, you know, didn't get to go to Syria. Two, now I'm coming back and like, I'm not even back yet. And you're telling me you're taking me off my dog. So I'm just like, <laughs> who's, who sent you that message? Was it the, the I can't remember or the, like, like the I, like, I honestly can't remember. Um, I want to say dusty, but I'm not trying to throw dusty into the bus uh yeah <laughs> throw him under the bus but no, yeah I, I saw him like super salty just like pretty upset with this deployment like but you know it it was it was a good good deployment you know did like entry control point work uh vehicle control point um you know met some good dudes had a, had good good experiences like you know it was, the deployment was fun um but definitely had the yeah. mindset of, of going out there and like doing work as a handler yeah, it's definitely good um, just to see kind of like how your progression as a team, just to getting ready for something like that, you know. And then in the end, like the core mission for, I guess, the regional kennels was, you know, just to be on standby and be ready for anybody, you know. So in the end, that you guys provided a capability to the area of operation. And sometimes, you know, you don't doesn't always work out the way you want it to, you know. Yeah, it was it was like we weren't out there just like not doing anything like as Willingham like was doing everything he could just, we were doing demos. We were going out doing that cross training with the different units. Um, and I think we definitely kind of started the process for, for the next guys and, um, you know, got back. It was like November of 2016. So you come back and then when did you guys start 
uh, planning out that memorial? I'm trying to remember. I know, I know, uh, like I went on leave and stuff like that. Um, but I think 2000, 2017, like beginning timeframe, um, was kind of like the process of, of, um, the, the canine memorial there at Pendleton. Um, I remember I was on social media and I saw the, uh, memorial that they have for the infantry unit there at, um, Camp Pendleton SOI, SOI Westside. Um, so I was like, that's, you know, that's super awesome. There's all these Marines that were going up there to, you know, um, do some beautification of those, those crosses. And I was like, I wish, you know, we had something like that because going to the kennels as a, as a young handler, um, and having some, some recent handlers, you know, um, that were killed in action. Like these guys were still hurting, you know, from East coast, West coast to, to overseas, um, so as a young handler, like hearing these stories of, of these, you know, people always think of them as like, you know, Marines and handlers, but like to us, it's like brothers and sisters. So uh, I could feel like the hurt and, and pretty much the handlers that knew these people. Uh, so I was like, you know what, like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna create something. I was like a Lance. No, I think I was a corporal at this time. Still, you know, like not making crazy money. Um, yeah, yeah. and I had like a Jeep Wrangler at that time. So that was like taking up all my gas money. Um, yeah. so how long did it take you to kind of connect, kind of get like funds together or like the whole process? Well, I paid for, I paid for the first crosses. Oh, really? So it was probably, only, yeah, it was probably only like $300, like for the first cross. It's just like everything, like from buckets to cement to, uh, the first crosses were cheap because like I said, I paid for it like myself. Uh, it was just like two by four, two by four wood. Um, and I, I had like another handler, like help me like build the first ones. Um, and then I, I painted them, did all the stenciling. Um, and I was still like trying to plan like what I wanted to do with them. So, uh, Keaton coffee, he has his like CrossFit workout. So, um, it gave me the idea that I was like, we'll set each cross at a certain distance and each cross will have you know, the, the handler that was killed in action, you know, I'll have a workout for them. Um, so with that idea, it, it wasn't able to, uh, work out because if you go up the, the dirt road up, uh, behind the kennels on one side, it's the fire break, you know, where they go out with like a tractor and stuff and like redo it like every month. And then on the other side, it's uh like off base housing it's it's not even like military housing so it's like we can't put crosses behind people's houses um so we were able to find this spot that's like a mile and a half behind the kennels on this like other hill and um we we ended up like inviting other handlers pretty much from the west coast to come out and we we carried all these crosses up um up to that hill and uh at the first canine memorial was was just uh the smaller crosses that that big center cross wasn't there and um so it was like just a bunch of handlers that went up there some handlers that were civilian uh you know handlers now for the marine corps but blueberries uh were there and the those crosses it was it was like probably lasted like a month and there was like a bad like storm or wind and two of the crosses got damaged uh so i was like you know i'm gonna 
I'm going to do some sort of fundraiser to just get some heavy duty crosses made. And, um, I remember I somehow stumbled across, um, Will, he's got his, his company, it's a Patriot Apparel. Um, he's, he's a Marine veteran, reached out to him. Uh, and I, cause he was, he was like out of San Diego and I was like, Hey man, like, you know, do you think if I come up with a shirt design, like you'll help me sell it to like raise some money? Uh, not knowing that, like, you know, he was still pretty small, uh, but he, he was not hesitant at all. He's like, yeah, for sure. So, uh, this kind of, you know, sparked the, the start of like, you know, my, my side business, uh, Duke accepted them. Um, so I sent him this design and he like created a link and everything for it. Uh, shared it, you know, handlers kind of from all over and, and other family people, um, you know, relating to, to handlers that had passed away, you know, supported and we raised like five, $600 from the shirts. And then um, somebody else uh, donated $500 um, just, you know, for the story of the, the purpose of it. So that was like super awesome. And uh, I remember I went to Lowe's with, a, with another handler, um, Francisco. And like, I, I'm not like the handiest man. Like, you know, I can do certain stuff, but like, I'm not knowledgeable about like woodwork and like building crosses and like what I need to do. But I was like, for sure, I need four by four, like wood. So I'm like, you know, just loading up my little cart with like stuff. But then this guy comes up to me, his name is Al. He's kind of like, like, you guys need help? I was like, uh, like, yeah, like we're trying to build some stuff, like just seeing what you recommend. He like asked me, you know, what I'm building. And I tell him, you know, like everything that we're doing. And he's like, you know what? Like I get off like in an hour, like just bring everything to my house. I'll help you guys build the crosses. So he had like all the, you know, tools and everything. So we bring everything to his house and uh, he helps us, you know, cut out the pieces to where they just like go within each other. Then we put a bolt through to where like these things are going to last like a long time. Uh, so it was, it was super cool, you know, for him, for him to do that, just like heard, heard the story and, and everything behind it that he, he just helped us out. And then, uh, same thing, you know, painted these crosses, uh, did the stencil work. Uh, but at the same time, um, Chris Willingham, he had got, uh, in contact with all the, the gold star family members of all, you know, each, each handler that, um, had passed away and, we were creating this event where we we're trying to fly them out and get them to come up with us to put these crosses in. And I think it was like five, five of the families ended up coming. Um, and this time we, we drove cause the, the crosses were a lot heavier this time. So we drove all the smaller crosses up there, but we um, all carried and hiked up the bigger cross uh, with, with the gold star families that came um, we had like a little event, we did like a demonstration with them. No, uh, it just kind of showed them, you know, what, what their sons, you know, did while they're here. And, um, once we got up there, it was, it was like, just like, you know, you just kind of like got the chills cause it was, it was crazy experiencing everything like this, having all these families here and, uh, you know, 
I'm sure it was an experience for them as well to where they, they saw, you know, that like the, the memories of, of their sons, you know, still living and all of these people that cared for them. So, uh, it was a super awesome moment to experience this. And, uh, even to this day, like once, once we go up to, uh, the memorial up there, like I still get, you know, chills and just like, it's, it's the pictures don't do it justice. Um, you don't, you know, you go up there and, um, you, you just get like a full 360 view of kind of like, you know, off Camp Pendleton, there's awesome like sunset up there. Um, and during that event, once they were up there, we gave them like a, like a good 20, 30 minutes and they kind of had, there's just all the Gold Star family members up there. Um, and we were all at the bottom of the hill. So we gave them their time to spend, you know, with the other families and, and the, the crosses for their, for their sons. And, um, you know, super, super special, uh, to me. And, um, I'm fortunate enough to be out here in the West coast where I'm able to visit and, um, able to just help out if they need any maintenance or upkeep with it. Um, yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely a sight, sight to see if anyone hasn't been out there, they definitely should. If, um, I mean, if you need base access, I'm sure there's a way for someone to get on, you know, for it. But yeah, definitely there's nothing else like that that I know of that's strictly dedicated to the fallen handlers, uh, the Marine Corps handlers, you know. And um, yeah, no, for sure. I think you did. You you nailed it right on the head. And then the second uh, crosses are definitely holding up from the last time I was there. Um, yeah, man, I think you did a great job with it. And I think you, you know, it's perfect for the community. It's definitely something that was needed. Um, and then it's a staple now, you know, like a lot of, uh, handlers on the West coast, you know, that they might not know the, the history behind it and you just laid it out. But I mean, it's part of, it's just part of canine now for the West coast, you know, and definitely some handlers that make the, make the trip over there. If, um, you know, I know the first time I saw it, I knew that going over to Pendleton, I think I was doing some TAD and I knew it was like, it was on my list that I had to get up there to see it, you know? Um, yeah, so definitely you nailed it, you know, yeah, you nailed it. Perfect, bro. Like it was a good job. And I think you even, I don't know when it was like you invited me out there, whether on the second one or the first time you, I think it like was, a, I think it was the first remember. one. Cause I, now that you say uh, that, I remember I, I like stumbled across the, the photos. One. Um, yeah, it was the first one. Yeah, that's what yeah. I was looking for. Yeah. Yeah. Right I was going to so, say I have, well, I, let me see that, that picture. picture. Is that four by four or two by four? Yeah, so you caught me. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. the first one. Yeah, that's two by four. I think it's a two. This is the first one. So removing, yeah, removing yeah. Uh, Sergeant Ashley's cross. Okay. Yeah, I think, yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely a good job with that, man. Like, it's uh, it's definitely a staple. And then I know that, um, since, you, like you said, you're on the West Coast, you're able to upkeep with it and keep in touch with the canine section so who's really tasked out to maintain it right now is it really just pmo pmo canine yeah it's pmo but i mean those guys have done an awesome job with it and like they they love it and um you know i was i was worried when when the mefs got disbanded that it was just kind of gonna um you know not like just completely go away but just upkeep wasn't going to be there but those guys have done an awesome job and um you know i've met all those guys and 
uh, we were just recently there uh, not too long ago, uh, but but I'll touch up, up on that uh, a little bit down. Um, but pretty much after, you know, this event, um, I was supposed to be taken off Sabre um, is, you know, what they told me. But at the same time, they a lot of people were EASing, um, you know, getting out of the Marine Corps separating. And they were looking for a senior handler to go on the second rotation of the regional kennels. So I was like, or no, the third rotation. So the second rotation was already out there. So the guys that relieved me were um, were there in, in uh, Camp Buring. So they were looking for the third rotation. And I volunteered because I was like, I don't need any dual time. Like I didn't, you know, do anything crazy. and if it's going to keep me on Sabre, like I'll stay on Sabre. So <clears throat> did, you know, all the pre-deployment training, pretty much everything took my leave. Uh, the whole process, you know, I did for the first uh, rotation and there it was nine days before I was supposed to deploy. And I remember I was at Moe's. It's like, it's like a Chipotle there at Pendleton and, you know, it's lunchtime having a good time. And, uh, I get a phone call from Willingham and he's like, what's going on, brother? He's known for his, what's going on now. And, uh, he's like, I got bad news. And I was like, you know, he, he's always joking around. So I'm just kind of like expecting him to just joke around. He's like, you got orders to Okinawa. And I was like, just, I did like a little laugh and then expecting to hear another laugh back. I didn't hear that laugh back. Oh, and I was like, what? Like, what? Like, I'm supposed to deploy in nine days. He's like, I'll take care of it. I'm trying to do his accent right now. Uh, but yeah, that, like, you know, he tried taking care of it. We found somebody that, you know, kind of had the same time frame as me that like volunteered to, uh, kind of volunteered, but vol- was voluntold to like take my orders. But the monitor at that time, you know, um, he was out the window. So he was like, he's not getting out of these orders. Um, so yeah, literally nine days before I was supposed to deploy my, uh, my unit dropped the ball. They didn't stabilize me for deployment. And I had like two and a half months to, uh, to prepare to go to overseas to Okinawa, Japan. And there hadn't been someone that went to, uh, Okinawa, Japan. And I don't know how long. Yeah, so. fun. You have to do your uh, overseas screening and how to run into the same issue. Uh, leaving Yuma because it's like the Marine Corps sends Marines all over the place. But then the one time that you're prepping to go overseas, it's like no one knows what's going on. You know, you had to do oh, it all over. I remember, I remember going to uh, IPAC, the uh, outbound section. And I literally went up to the desk. I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. And, uh, <laughs> it worked though because they apparently had this whole package of like what I needed to do. Like, but this was like when I had like a month and a half left. Uh, so I was just like scrambling to like do everything. Like as soon as I found out that I wasn't getting out of these orders, the first thing I did was go to the barracks and I threw all my SIF stuff, all my issued gear into the washers and just started washing everything. Just hearing the horror stories of people like getting Checking rejected. Out with yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah. I, yeah. Cause I remember, I remember this time where, cause you came back through YPG a second oh, time. Yeah, I didn't hit that. And yeah, I remember because I was already an instructor down there. And then you've come 
through a couple other times as well because you guys were so close to ypg that every time we had a class or ssd was out there um your your kennels would come out and like Dude, piggyback off the course and take advantage of it. i went out there four times not in the course i went to the course twice that second time i went through uh i remember uh nieto was still there and sword was still there but nieto was like talking me up and it was just like <laughs> i remember he was like talking me up and like i i don't know saber was just having you know his issues and like we weren't performing that well um but you know we, we were still able to to pass because i just i could read him like you know when he was kind of like throwing his changes where he was kind of gaffing off i could be like all right hey like he's he's falsing and uh we like pulled it out of our ass but <laughs> we were able to pass yeah. and i remember like i you you guys would keep the same scenarios and i remember i was like <laughs> i was like running through one of the scenarios i'm going through one of like it was a canine village and i'm like i'm walking i'm like wait a minute i'm like i haven't had gunfire yet so i like i like <laughs> stop i go over gaming a, the system yeah i was gaming the system i go over a wall so you guys like don't see me like five minutes goes by i'm like searching the little compound and i get yeah, like I you're already already in yeah i get radio traffic from you guys you're like you guys are like where are you at and I was like inside the <laughs> compound and I'm like, oh, by the way, my dog, you know, responded at the threshold of this compound. Yeah. <laughs> and then I moved to the next that. building and I'm like, I still haven't got gunfire yet. So I'm like looking around and I look across because you guys were like these three buildings on the opposite side are out of play. And I like look over and I see like the the 50 cal simulator <laughs> i was like requesting air support on these buildings so like and i and I, like i remember seeing like one of the it was a hard visual but just like me kind of going through the first time like my pre-search assessment this was nighttime and i'm like i'm at a corner of a compound on the outside and i i look and i see like the muzzle of of a weapon system like within a bush like it's hard to see like anybody else would have thought it was a twig and you know we had our spotters that had already ran through and like they they were pretty much told not to help us out but i remember i was like looking you know even at nighttime kind of looking through my optics i'm like i'm like this one's tough i'm like i asked my spotter i'm like hey man does this look like a muzzle you know just like asking i'm not like trying to like he's like oh i can't see like but he, he told me afterwards, he was just butthurt that I was like able to find everything. Um, yeah, but yeah, it was, that's funny. it was, it was, a, a like, you know, interesting, interesting going back. Uh, good. Like I love YPG and, you know, especially going yeah, it's there. It's a good place. Especially like when you were coming in, like we started noticing a lot of, uh, a lot of the meth handlers were coming back through at the second time. And at that point we were changing up a lot of times. It's like, yo, like we got to change up these, uh, scenarios. So like me and another instructor, uh, games down there so we came up with a lot of different scenarios that way even when it came to finex you know like hey if you fail this cool um you're gonna run on this side but the spotter has never when he's running as a spotter he'd never see that scenario you know yeah it took a lot of time a lot of a lot of planning but we made it work but we definitely knew that we wanted you to come out as an instructor and i remember that uh we were trying to get you orders down there but then we heard you got orders to okinawa and then even, you know, Gaines was in charge at the time and he called the monitor and the monitor's like, oh, you know, I told it because he had literally talked to him. It's like, yeah, we're going to get him orders. 
but he didn't make a note. So you got orders to open <laughs> the monitor. <laughs> but he, they made the a best. comment. Yeah. No, I yeah, they made a comment that's like, hey, you're coming back after these orders. Uh, yeah, it was like one year in Oki, right? You're going to come to YPG. Yeah, so. no, that... Let's go back to you getting sent over to Oki. Okay, so... Uh, so you got sent to Oki, right? PMO K9. Uh, how did that go down? So, um, yeah, I, I, I get these orders and I'm just like, just shocked. I'm like, at this time, I was like, you know, I was going to go on this deployment. I was going to re-enlist. But now it's like everything changes. I'm like, I literally just went on pre-deployment uh, leave. And now it's like I get these orders to Okinawa uh, just one year. So it's I, like I'm stuck. Like I'm like, well, if I reenlist, like am I going to have to like extend and stay out there? Like I don't want to do that. Um, so I was kind of I was kind of like leaning towards getting out at this point. Like I was like, I'm just going to get out, do contracting, make, you know, 130K, you know, doing the same thing. Yeah. Um, so I get overseas and uh, I get scooped up by the the trainer at the time so they steal me to canine because i don't I, like my orders that they just said 5811 so just regular military right. police but they pretty much steal me over to canine i get to the canine section and uh like for me at pendleton when i was there and i was a handler like i avoided all paperwork at all times like i did not want to deal with any of that so you know me jumping from a handler to like the chief trainer replacing the chief trainer was like a nightmare. Like, you know, I thought I was just going to be doing, you know, all the training, setting up the training, but like all the administrative work was, was, you know, just get thrown into the yeah, fire. Man. I got thrown, thrown into the, the fire. Um, <laughs> and again, like, I'm not going to mention names with like, you know, right. talking bad behind like yeah. about, people. but it, it is, yeah, it is a lot of, a lot of work, especially coming from a handler. And then you like, uh, like I said, like your work ethic kind of, push you through the pipeline fairly quickly you know what i mean you you advance yourself you took initiative you got the schools you're on leash for a little bit and then it's just your time you know you're gonna move on <laughs> and unfortunately you're getting into these like leadership roles within the kennels and um yeah if you're not eased into it or like have a good understanding yeah it can get kind of it can get kind of technical and overwhelming yeah and, and when i got there like i was used to you know being at a MEF, you have like really close like tight-knit group where everyone hangs out and i get there and i'm just kind of like see everyone kind of doing their own thing not really like hanging out with each other uh they they just seemed like they didn't really like you know being there and you know i didn't i didn't blame them because you know at the time the the kennel master just created a toxic like environment for them um and i i ended up doing you know the chief trainer position and and his job as well you know so i was like thrown into the fire where i'm having to do all the work um and, and trying to manage everything and learn everything and like as soon as everything was going smoothly something would pop up and it was just like hey this hasn't been done in two to three years and i'm like i don't know how to do it but i'm gonna figure it out um, but luckily I had, uh, you know, officer there that was from Pendleton and, uh, she really helped me out, took care of me. Um, and while I was there, like I did my best to just create like a camaraderie within the Marines. And, and we did, it was like towards the end, it was like pretty tight knit group. You know, some of them are here in the West coast and still hang out with them, still talk to them, check up on them. Uh, so it was, it was, it was super cool experience being out there. Uh, and being able to do that, experience that, and just like 
you know, learning, learning by error. And, and just like, that's like where I learned like all of my administrative stuff. Um, it, it was really helpful. And um, I was fortunate enough out there as well to go do another POTUS mission. And uh, <laughs> I remember it, the mission popped up and I was like joking around because I was a chief trainer and I was like, oh, like, hey, you need a government passport. <laughs> I have a government passport. Um, you know, and no one else does. Yeah, no, well, there's like three <laughs> other people. Um, oh, nice. And uh, Bill Carl was one of them. And, and he's like, oh, I don't want to go because I think he had like leave or something. So uh, that just left um, uh, Zelensky, one of the, the handlers there. So I was like, yeah, like I've already done my POTUS mission. Like, uh, like she can go and, and do it. Um, you know, I was just joking around. So we do all this stuff for her and it's, it's like a nightmare trying to do anything in, in uh, Paycom, you know, in Japan, in that area with traveling with a dog in, in the Pacific Asian area. Is oh yeah. It's, it's a nightmare. And um, so she, we do all her stuff, but then it's like, Hey, a second tasker was sent. They're requesting two dog teams. Guess what? I'm up. Perfect. <laughs> but so the, the first tasker that they sent was was for like the secondary mission. Um, so they like just I, I guess sent it backwards. So the second one they sent was the one that I got on and that was the primary. So she ended up going to another airport in uh, the Philippines and I went to Manila. Um, and that was like the main one. So she was kind of butthurt about that because like she like didn't do anything she was kind of like in the outskirts and i was like in the main city uh we took like a military flight there um so the military flight like wasn't you know bad at all and then we get you know to our places and uh you know i've already done the potus mission and i like what i took from the first one was like just act like you know what you're doing and nobody's gonna question it but i was just like i know you know people say that you're good, but you're not good. And my biggest thing was like traveling with the dog in that area was, you know, difficult. And I like, I kept messaging our like agent and I was like, Hey, like, so I'm good for the hotel. Right. They're like, yeah, you're good. You, you know, like you have your room booked and I'm like, okay. Like I literally like tried to reassure myself three times and he's like, yeah, you're good. And I'm like walking into the hotel and like everyone like, is like, no, 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 no. And I was like, I trying to kick you yeah, out. and I'm like, yes, yes, yes. And I'm like, I have a reservation. They said they talked to you guys. So I spent like 30 minutes there and they're like, we're going to charge you extra. I'm like, it was, I can't remember how much extra. But I was like, yeah, that's fine. Like secret service is paying for it. I don't care. Uh, so, you know, finally get in and I'm like Manila in the Philippines is like, there's like no grass. Like you cannot find grass. So I'm like trying to find um, like a place to go break my dog and I'm like walking everywhere. So I'm like exploring and I'm like walking and like, I look, I look Filipino, you know? So at the time there was like riots going on with like president Trump going there. So it, it wasn't safe for Americans, but because I liked Filipino, like I was good. And I remember though, I was like walking in this like sketchy, like I knew it was sketchy because I'm like walking and I see like, a group of like six to eight people on the left and I see a group of six to eight people on the right. And I'm just kind of like, okay, like maybe I should turn around. And then these like groups are walking towards each other in the center of the road. And I'm like, oh gosh. 
but they just start rooster fighting in, in the center of the road. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to turn around. <laughs> and uh, I turn around and uh, go back to the hotel. And I had a driver assigned to me um, for like the five days I was there, for like 12 hours a day. And, uh, you know, the Philippines is a, like third world country. Like, you know, they're, they're not making much. Um, and I like the other handler was four hours away from me. So I didn't really have anyone to hang out. The recon dudes that I, we flew out with were like at a separate hotel and I didn't really know anyone. So I would just hang out with my driver and, uh, you know, talk to him. And like, I was the first American he ever met. Uh, so he was like literally the whole time, like smiling and just like super happy, like that he was getting to experience this. Um, first American and a dog. Handler. Yeah. And, uh, That's awesome. I was, it was, it was like, you know, a, an awesome experience for me just to experience this as well. Like, you know, being with him and like, I'd take him out and I'd like pay for, pay for his, uh, lunch, dinner, like whatever we'd go to, um, because like you know as i was talking to him i like asked him you know how much he was making and uh he was making like six dollars a day wow for 12 hours and for him to save money he was sleeping in in the like the van the vehicle uh because his family was like six hours away and like his daughter was sick so um it was a very humbling experience you know him taking me places and showing me kind of like the history of the philippines and getting to explore um it was an awesome awesome experience uh i still have him on on facebook he'll he'll message me here and there he'll he'll facebook call me that's awesome um but yeah he's super you know um nice dude and and uh it was awesome experience and um i remember the second to last day like the day like before i was uh flying out um one of the like Air Force One, it was either the Air Force One agent or the Secret, no, it was Secret Service. They're like, um, I run into them in the hotel. It was like my first time running into them. And they're like, hey, uh, you can go get food at the 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 mall. And I was like, what? And they're like, yeah, you can go get food at the mall. I was like, okay. And they just kind of like see the confusion in my face. And they're like, you didn't know you were restricted to the hotel. <laughs> and I, I I was just traveling like Manila, kind of going up to like just touristy areas like the whole time. And I was like, I just, uh, I was like, uh, yeah. But they're like, all right, don't tell us anywhere you've been. I was like, okay. Nice. <laughs> uh, but like traveling, traveling back, uh, back from there was like a nightmare. Because I like, I'm super like paranoid when you tell me something's okay like i had to reassure and like reconfirm like three times because i don't believe you right and uh i, I remember i called american airlines and i was like hey like just letting you know we're traveling with uh, military working dogs um so we don't have any issues They're like yeah you're good like just you have your health shirt still like everything's good i was like yeah okay so i did not believe that lady like uh, my hotel was luckily like two miles away from the airport so i had my driver take me there I went there and I like talked to people and they're like, no, like you cannot bring a dog. And I was like, yes, I am bringing a dog. Cause I called the people on the phone while I was there and they're like, yeah, you're good. Don't listen to them. And I'm like, all right. Like I am a hundred percent believing you cause I'm coming with my dog. Like there's no other way. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, the worst. So, so on the Miller flight, when we got there, like 
I didn't have to deal with my dog at all because it was in a kennel, like, you know, in, in the back in the cargo area. And I was just like in my hammock by it, the dog. So, um, on this, you know, commercial flight, it was my dog's first commercial flight ever. And I was like grabbing like my dog by the collar. Cause like I was sitting by people that were terrified by dogs. Oh yeah. And this dog was just like shaking like this whole time like terrified of this flight what kind of dog was this and i was it, it, she was a Sheppenwall. her name was fanta uh <laughs> she was young she was like two two years old oh yeah so it definitely she's kind just of like, like a shock for her oh yeah she was shaking and i'm like i'm exhausted like trying not to fall asleep like kind of like dozing off but like holding on to this dog and like forcing myself to stay up and our connecting flight was guam which like another awful place to try to fly with you know dogs and we get there and we're like, you know, going to our connecting flight and we get stopped. And they're like, what are you doing? And I was like, what do you mean? They're like, uh, like you, you can't come here with your dog. And I was like, what do you like? Yes, we, they're, they're federal service dogs. They're, they're military working dogs. And they're like, you have to come with us. And it was, it was like six dudes that rolled up on us. So, um, you know, our dogs were in their kennels. There's somebody like they're watching with them and like once they realize we're on orders they're like oh oh you're good and i was like yeah and one of the dudes like that was like in the background of the main dude he's like why did you guys leave your dogs by themselves i'm like one we didn't leave our dogs by themselves they were there with like american airline staff and uh, i was like two because you guys you know were being buttholes but that was like the worst trip ever traveling with dogs. Yeah, man. Just all that, all of that just brought back all these fucking memories and the worst experiences <laughs> leaving Okinawa back to the States multiple times. And then especially sending our handlers from uh, like third meth, you know, to go back to like YPG with weapons. Uh, <laughs> and you would always you would always get frustrated with the Marines until you went over. There. I know. It's like you remember me too. It's like, no, like. They're screwing it up. It's on them. They messed up the timing. It's they didn't coordinate. It's all their fault. Now, hundred percent would never talk crap about anybody. Yeah, coming yeah. from Okinawa with the dog, hundred percent understand uh, what they were dealing with because it's it's a nightmare. You know, and like if you don't coordinate with the JPs with weapons, you know, like it's an international incident. You know, the handlers are going down yeah. there to the airport with guns and. Yeah, so just it breeds like you know bad stuff. But definitely the handlers need to stay on top of their game. You know, coordinate with the airlines. You can coordinate with them a hundred times, get confirmation, triple confirmation, and then you get there and it's like, who are you? No, you can't take this dog. And uh, it's just it's super frustrating. So 100% feel that. Yeah. So so something for, and just to, to touch in there, because I just traveled with my, uh, you know, retired working dog, but he's, he's like a service dog now. Is uh you actually have to fill out an extra form uh, that the CDC passed before traveling with with the dog, or else they won't let you. So you can add that wherever. But right, did you fly with Delta? Uh, American Airlines. Yeah, Delta is definitely pretty good, and obviously, like in Japan, it's just American Airlines contracted with Japanese Airlines (JAL), <laughs> so that they don't communicate well. But I'm sure they need to. They've gotten better, and you know, as long as the handler does some research you know, yeah like they'll they'll be good just prepare prepare and, and like plan yeah. like months out because just traveling with with the you know working dog is is 
can be a nightmare, but if you just prepare and do it beforehand, then you're good. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, uh, definitely, you know, give your dog a bath, you know, groom your dog. Uh, don't feed your dog at least like, you know, prior. Cause we don't want you, no one wants to smell your dog and no one wants the dog hair in their mouth. You know what I mean? Close confines, but just be a good handler, be a good representation. And that's for everyone listening to. So with the PMO canine and Oki, you said it was a one year billet. Um, and so you got kind of thrown into the chief trainer role mm -hmm. and obviously the chief trainer role is pretty, pretty intensive role right underneath the kennel master role. Um, when you were leaving, you said that you didn't extend or anything. So what came down orders wise to keep you, keep you in the Marine Corps? So that's when you came into play and I was talking to like you and like how you guys were trying to get me to, to Yuma. And uh, so that was like my incentive. I was like, if I can go to uh, Yuma Proving Grounds, then I'll re-enlist. And uh, I remember um, I hit up the monitor and I was like, hey, like, you know, um, just I know there was notes there for me to go to Yuma. And it, at this point, it was the new monitor, the, the new uh, person in charge of, you know, rotating us and giving us orders. And he's like, I don't see any notes. And I was like, what? Oh, man. <laughs> and, uh, so he's like, he's like, I, you know, I'll put notes in here, but I can't give you orders right now. Like, I can't give you orders till like December, January timeframe. So I had to reenlist in July, like rolling the dice, like nothing like confirmed, like set that I was going to Yuma for now. So like this, this was like, really really putting the faith in the green weenie <laughs> yeah and i was like screw it you know i re-enlisted and uh literally like you know as the time went on in okinawa and just kind of dealing with uh toxic leadership i was like just hoping that these orders would come through and i would check my mol like every single day and i remember it was, it was like december time frame and i was like i go like times were getting tough just like the leadership there was was pretty bad and I like check my MOL and sure enough, I see like, what, it's like one KBA or yeah, KBA, KBA. KBA. Yeah, KBA. And I was like, I'm going to Yuma. Just like, you know, celebrating <laughs> like nothing like could stop me now. I was like, oh, I'm like, you know, set. And uh, yeah, you know, like got the orders to Yuma and, and uh, you know, I like before, like I said before, like I was pretty set on just getting out and doing contracting, but uh one person that, that like really um like affected me in my decision staying in was uh chris willingham you know like his his uh leadership his mentorship his is just friendship just like overall great person he, he's like the epitome of a a marine's marine um and i wanted to you know be that for somebody like you know he's he's not going to be able to to affect you know all the marines because he was getting you know out and it's like you know like he had an impact on me and I, I wanted to be able to to make an impact on on uh marines and you know it's like your first your first enlistment i feel like is kind of like for you and and you kind of like you know just whatever you join the marine corps to do is is what you're trying to fulfill and then kind of after that it, it i feel like it it's the marines it's it's the marine corps um, it's, it's more than just yourself. It's, it's, you know, for a specific reason. And for me, it was, you know, the, the Marines, like, um, towards this time of, of my career, like, I wouldn't say like I lost, you know, that Marine Corps motivation, but my only 
real drive and purpose was the canine community. Like I loved it. Like I, you know, had have such a passion for it and like handlers and, you know, meeting young handlers and just uh, being able to have some sort of impact, you know, human proving grounds was, was my calling. And uh, at, at this point, you know, I, I felt like I didn't really deserve to go to Yuma Proving Grounds because, you know, on my deployment, I didn't really do anything, um, you know, combat related. But, um, you know, I had a lot of experience being able to just cross train with with different um, units, getting that experience with engineers, infantry, um, you know, cross training with like the recon dudes and then just doing some um cross training with, with, you know, the MARSOC guys and just get, getting familiar with different, like, you know, from, from air to amphibious stuff. So, um, uh, going to human frame grounds was, you know, a little scary for me, but it was, you know, probably like my favorite besides being a handler, it was, it was my favorite, um, you know, billet and duty station. So this was 2000 and 18? 2018? Yeah. June yeah. 2018. Beginning. I remember, um, you know, I like the one year in Okinawa, I was like, I suffered through a lot in Okinawa. Just like the one year, like one, you, you took me away from a deployment and then two just threw me into the fire that I was like, I was like literally to the day on like the year where I could get like my, my overseas like little ribbon. So like, I was like, you guys are at least going to like, give me this. So I have like, you know, a nice little looking candy stack. <laughs> and, uh, so get done there. Uh, you know, I, I, I get home in Indiana and I had, I had a decent amount of, uh, of like days until I checked in, but somebody there, you know, made me check in early. Uh, oh, I wonder who that was. <laughs> yeah, I wonder who that was. I like literally checked in like a week early and I was like, yeah, that's fine. I'll, I guess I'll check in early. But no, it was, it, it was for a good cause. Yeah, you know? <laughs> like you could check in a week early, do the uh, the prep for the first class. Yeah, you know? and uh, I remember. Yeah, it was like I got back to the states. I like did a cross country trip from like Indiana to like Northern California, visited some family, and uh, I just went straight to Yuma, uh, checked in, and like I remember I some somehow like finagled like not having to check into my alphas but like yeah they were trying to get me to check in my alphas but i was like dude i i just came from human proving grounds i'm not driving you know to like an hour and a half just to do all that and um yeah human proving grounds you know this is like i'd say like a big change because it's it's like you're away from the flagpole you're you're a grown-up like you're just out there like this is your your job as an instructor to at, at the time the army and navy was still there but the army was you know pulling out uh navy you know they didn't pull out till i was like you know kind of like my first six months there um but yeah you proving grounds you know it's it's where handlers would go you know before, you know for pre-deployment training essentially uh, but it kind of shifted, you know, once kind of Afghanistan toned down uh, to where it wasn't like uh, needed for, for deployment, but it was still like, an uh, I would call it an advanced school after. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, I'd say, I mean, we crossed paths before, but that's kind of like where we really got to, to know each other. And um, I know when you were there, like, 
you you essentially took over for for Nieto and Tord because my last when I went there as as a handler was their last class and that's when they got their uh, special duty assignments so they left um and then Gaines ended up getting orders to Okinawa so you you took over um yeah it was uh it was pretty quick when you know, Nieto yeah the Nieto and Sword were there and then they had to bounce out cuz like I said they were away from the flagpole and Hey, the big Marine Corps hiss, you know, you have to put in that time for the SDA, but you know, uh, Gaines actually took over for a little bit. And then when Gaines got orders out, I took over. So when you got there, I think you, you met him, but he was on his way out, you know? Yeah, he was, it was his like last month. Uh, it was like yeah. him and the, uh, army instructor. I remember going to like both of their going aways. Yeah. 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 But it was, uh, yeah, it was definitely the first time that we got to work together. We would, yeah, like I said, we crossed paths before, in and out. You'd always come through Yuma, piggybacking, sneaking your way in to, to uh, get a sneak peek at uh, the scenarios, right? Yeah. And then, uh, no, but it was definitely good to, to get you there. So with kind of like that, I want to say that year, 2018, you know, the Army and the Navy were kind of on their last roll. And then I guess the last few classes that you guys had were all Marines, right? Yeah, it was it was pretty much just all Marines after that. We still had, uh, I mean, we had a uh, our Navy instructor there for for a few months, Barnhart, and a few Navy classes. But after that, it was just all all Marines, and um, you know, it was it was a little bit different. But that started kind of just paving the road for for the future of YPG, and um, you know, we it was like I got there, uh, another instructor got there, and then another instructor got there. And you were you were there still for a little bit, uh, but you know you were up for orders, and you know you went to where you deserved. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Just trying to give it back to me, Okinawa. Yeah, Okinawa. <laughs> no, but it was it was a uh, you know it was new for me to where I was like you know I got there. And, um, you wanted me to just kind of feel out like the first class to where just kind of step back and, and like shadow the instructors. Um, and and yeah the first first class you know saw saw some like i'm always like one to i like and all all handlers should be like this is just kind of question everything like um ask ask you know the reasoning for for doing certain things and and knowing the reasoning behind stuff because you know i know it was a little difficult for you and trying to like handle everything and like the staff that you had there like nothing against the people but um, you know, at, at sometimes, you know, people kind of need that guidance. Um, and for me, I was like, you know, like asking the other instructors kind of like, Hey, like, you know, why are you doing that? And I would get the answer. Of, this is just how we do it. And th- that answer for me is, you know, not good. Like, uh, no, like if nope, you tell me, not good at all. if you tell me that, then I, I'm not going to listen to you. Um, so, um, kind of once. Once we started working together, and you um, you saw kind of how I worked, you, you kind of let it let me have like free reign, and um, slowly kind of started uh, to to change little things here and there, um, and and once you kind of got orders and and rotated out, and we had our uh, new instructor staff, um, and and the classes got smaller. Obviously, it was it was different for us because you weren't having to deal with, uh, I mean, you were having to deal with like you know what 10, 11, 12. 
however however many students um, right and in the heat out there it's like you like some classes you don't get that much time you're just you're racing to to beat the 115 120 degree weather um and, and getting able uh or being able to um have dogs work in in that environment uh once it once it like broke down to five six students um you know at most like eight nine it was a you know we kind of had more time we um different instructors went there you know fidel got there from from his you know background um he he definitely you know made a big change and uh we we started changing things up there at human proving grounds we were able to kind of mess around and and uh do like full mission profiles and and start implementing the other handlers as like team dudes where you know they would be just another person in the stack and um you know we we had the logistics of you know 500 pounds of explosives so uh i would use all of that all of those those explosives and you know one training site i would set up you know three to five scenarios depending on the training site and everyone would have a different scenario and I was just constantly changing it up. Um, and, and the staff there, we kind of broke it up to where I was like, all right, cool. Like, hey, uh, like, you know, Fidel was like, he was like, cool, I'll take tracking and, and bite work. And, um, you know, I, I just dove into the explosive detection portion. He would still do that as well. Uh, but I love just kind of like, like the sky was a limit with scenarios, like just setting up these things and I, I really learned uh, a lot there from Fidel with with uh, tracking and in the way he would do tracking so I really like like dove into tracking and uh, we were able to really change up the tracking uh, for the handlers there and we were able to do a all tracking class and do urban tracking in the Yuma city limits um, and that was awesome um, I mean Yuma Yuma proving grounds was you know uh, probably like the best canine like it's it wasn't even considered a canine school uh it was, i mean it was like the only marine corps like you know canine school but um you know with with all the changes when it when the MEFs disbanded and uh it was like february of 2020 we had like a kennel masters conference and you know we we all went there and kind of discussed the future of canine and um the type of dogs we wanted and like what we wanted, you know, to change, but like everyone was on board, like Yuma proving grounds is staying, it's not going away. And obviously these people, you know, sign non-disclosure agreements. So it's like, we left that conference, like thinking awesome. Like we did such a good job and like COVID happened and like, they're like, you know, they're like, hey, um, this class is, is getting canceled due to COVID. So we're like, all right, cool. And then like a few days go by, like, hey, the rest of this uh, fiscal year is getting canceled. We're like, okay, like we have all this great space. Like what are we going to do? Whatever, we'll just, you know, revamp everything. Just try to make changes, try to, you know, be prepared. And then sure enough, you know, the the rumors of the meths going away becomes real. So it's, I don't even know how many dog teams I would, I would like assume like 90, 80, 90, you know, dog teams just. Are you talking about with the meth total? Yeah. So it's TO'd for, I want to say about 
45 dogs. Let's just round up like every math, like 50. So it's 150 canine spots. Yeah. Gone. So, so 150 canine spots just gone. Like, like that. I mean, some, it, it was a process, but for us, it was like, well, you know, if we don't have anybody coming through, like, it was like, Hey, you guys have, it was like two or three months to disband everything, you know, get your counts for everything. And, um, just get rid of everything. And it's like, wow, like we, we did it so quick too. Um, it was just like surreal to, to experience that. And, um, I, so what you're them. saying is that you got Yuma shut down. No, 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 no. <laughs> no I'm just joking. No, man, it's, uh, definitely, yeah, it's definitely sad to, to hear it go out the way it did, but I think you guys did a great job, you know, doing the, the changes and, and doing the integration the way you, you did it right. Cause it's definitely needed, you know, it's a little, no one ever wants to see it change, you know, but yeah, I know that we made changes with our instructor group there and it's only part of like the nature of a training course, you know, like you guys are going to bring more relevant, uh, stuff. Cause by the time, yeah, by the time like the instructors, you know, left, you know, there was maybe like you know, six, 10 years before they ever were downrange, you know what I mean? Um, and then just like training with canine evolves every year, you know, so it's definitely good to keep it, keep it relevant, keep the students, you know, doing new things and learning new stuff. So yeah, you guys did a good job. Yeah, it was, it was like, I think like every class was different. Like we, after every class, like we would go to the AARs and just like, if we felt something like just like wasn't good enough, we literally like would change it. We would still hit, you know, everything we needed to hit that you set up. Thank you. Yep, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, it was, you know, it was like we just were just trying to make it better. Like as, like as whatever we could do to just give these handlers uh, a better experience. And like we, we had like the snipers come through. We would like integrate trackers like with snipers that would come through and like do tracks where these snipers we would teach the snipers how to evade the dog teams like fidel um and then we would pretty much teach them how they're not going to be able to evade the dog team and like set up this whole scenario where it's like hey you guys try to evade us do whatever you need to do like if you guys need to set an ambush and like sure enough like we they set up an ambush position and we like did a right flank on them and they're like wow like you know this is crazy and and from that class you know one of the handlers uh, got in contact with one of the snipers from the East coast and they ended up doing, you know, training. Uh, we had the, 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 you know, the advanced infantry like schools kind of come through and, uh, we implemented two, two dog teams with them. And I want to say it was the track class and, uh, yeah, it was, it was like just an experience for, for the handlers and also, you know, the other unit as well to where they they saw the capabilities of these dog teams and, uh, really just started kind of opening up doors. So it was like, we just were constantly seeing this progression and uh, it was just sad, you know, when, when we got disbanded, it was, it was heartbreaking. Um, Cause it was just like, man, we were doing so good. And it was like, just constantly progressing and, and just making ourselves better at all times. And um, I told them, I'm like, I will go anywhere but a PMO, like I, I don't care where I go. Don't send me a PMO. Like I'll go back to the school infantry West and just be on it 
like on a desk somewhere, like do not send me to PMO. I ended up at Marine Corps Air Station doing my <laughs> PMO. And uh yeah, there was there was no spots there um at the kennels, so I ended up going to uh be a watch commander. So it's just supervisor for uh the the military police. Um, you know, they're on base and you're just pretty much in charge of the civilians and the Marines, uh all the posts and doing your, your checks, driving around and um for me it was like i there's there's like no fulfillment in that job so like i hated it uh but like anywhere you put me like i i can't you know just not give any effort uh to where you know i got there and i just like saw all these issues and and just started you know changing things to where it's like hey making all these marines do you know all this training that they were supposed to be doing and just getting them prepared and um, challenging them to improve their, you know, their fitness scores, their, their shooting scores, all this stuff. And, um, you know, it's like, no matter if they're handlers or not, like I, I love Marines. I love being able to make an impact and and just be there for them. So, uh, luckily I was, I was sent to, um, the first platoon, which, you know, everyone said that it was the best platoon. So I was happy about that. And, uh, yeah, I had some good Marines there, um, and and I uh, was able to just challenge them and push them, and and you know I have some some civilians there too, and you know an awesome officer. And, uh, it, it was it was a good experience. You know, I wasn't fond of not being in the canine section, but uh, my last you know four months in the Marine Corps, um, it it was different, and uh, you know challenging just doing a shift schedule and just kind of tailoring to that and uh, being put somewhere where it's like, you know, your last couple of months in the Marine Corps and you can't really be somewhere where, you know, your passion about was, was tough, but uh, you know, the, the train's going to keep moving. So it's like, I'm, I just got to do my best while I'm here and, and put effort and uh, be there for, for the Marines. So it was uh, an experience. Yeah, for that's sure. Good. I mean, yeah, it's definitely, it's not the way anyone wants to go out, but in the end, um, it's pretty extreme change going from a place like YPG where you kind of have a little bit more freedom of movement, you know, uh, you're operating independently away from your command. And then, yeah, the last, you know, shutting it down, you know, you guys were kind of out the whole fiscal year, you know? So yeah, I imagine I can just put myself in that, those shoes going to a PMO and just riding out the time. Um, yeah, it's not good, but, but like you said, yeah, anywhere, and I saw it, you know, working with you, like anywhere you go, you're definitely going to put 100% into it, um, and you're not going to let the Marines under you, you know, suffer for that. So that's definitely a testament to your work ethic and then who you are as a person and then just, you know, hey, you gave your time in the Marine Corps. At this point, what what rank did you get out at? Um, so, well, I don't know, what is it? It was 2019? Right. 2019. 20, no, I think it was 2020. Yeah, it was 2020. The Marine Corps was, was uh, you know, doing all these changes with, like, promotion and stuff like that. And uh, they were going to implement that you have to have two years on oh, yeah, contract right. uh, in order to get, in order to pick up E6. So I was already selected to get promoted to E6 Staff Sergeant. Uh, but it was like, I literally got promoted, I think, 
it was July 1st and August 1st was going to play into effect where you had to have two years on oh, nice. contract. So like I, I, at this time though, I was like, I decided I was like, I'll, I'll reenlist if I can get this because I was histed at this time. So I got histed and I was like, all right, well, I'll, I will stay in if I can do, uh, MSG. So embassy duty and be a uh, detachment commander. Um, and sure enough, like, you know, since the YPG kind of disbanded and, and the monitor was like, where was, where does he want to go? Um, and I told him, I'm like, I want to go MSG. So he's like, yeah, he'll go MSG. And, uh, before this though, I had told the career planner, you know, the ones that deal with kind of like our reenlistment and like our, and like our, our future essentially, uh, I had told them I was getting out. So when I told them I'll stay in to go MSG, they were kind of like, eh, like we don't know if we believe <laughs> you. Um, so, so they, I'd submitted my package and everything like that. And, um, I ended up getting promoted and, uh, you know, had, had a pretty, um, informal promotion, but you know, I'm, I'm not a very formal, uh, person when it comes to like ceremonies and stuff like that, but I had, you know, a lot of good friends come out for, for the promotion. So that was awesome. And, um, my, my goal was, you know, to get promoted to staff sergeant because one of my, my cousins, you know, that I had mentioned before he was a staff sergeant and I told him I was going to catch up to him and get promoted to, to staff sergeant, you know, nice. faster than he did. And, uh, I was, I was able to get it, at, uh, seven years and one month, um, which, which isn't common, um, but you know, it, it was, it was a goal of mine and, and to be able to accomplish it was, was awesome. And, uh, yeah, I was, I was pretty, you know, like I was like, I'll go MSG and like stay in the Marine Corps, but with all the changes to, um, the Marine Corps and, and the field side canine, you know, the, the, the deployable side canine going away and like all these positions going away, uh, it, it really made me kind of think of like what what am I going to come back to like you know it's going to be more competitive um you know trying to stand like I don't first of all I don't, I don't care for for the rank I don't, I don't care you know like if I stayed a staff sergeant for 20 years and was in the canine community I'd be happy if I was a sergeant for 20 years and stayed in the canine community like I don't I don't care uh my that was my biggest concern is just coming back from a special duty assignment and being able to get put in position but being an e6 you know in seven years and having 13 years left of my marine corps career there's no way that i could have stayed in the canine community no way so that's you know that was my decision where i was like i if I stayed in, like, you know, everyone was like, why? Like, stay in. Like, you made staff sergeant in seven years. Like, you're good. Like, I was like, no, like, I can't. Like, I wouldn't I wouldn't be happy. Like, if I stayed in, it would have been for the wrong reasons. It, I wouldn't have been passionate about, like, passionate about it um, to where it was, it was a tough decision for sure. Because, I mean, even now, like, I'm still, like, you know, retirement. You know, my, my dad is very old school um you know mexican where he he's all he's done since he was eight years old is is work 
to where I, I would love to retire early. Um, but for me, it's I want to be happy and, and I want to be somewhere where I'm passionate about it to where it was just the right decision for me to just transition out. Um, I, I miss it for sure. You know, I, I miss the Marines. I miss being, you know, like going back to Pendleton and, and like seeing the memorial and meeting some of the younger Marine handlers is is awesome just because, you know, I, like I said, I was kind of hesitant about um, the upkeep of it, but, you know, meeting those Marines was, was awesome just because they're, they're passionate about it. They love it. Um, and still, you know, being able to kind of see that and be a part of that is, is a great experience. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, definitely you said some good stuff, you know, like didn't really see a big vision for, for the long haul. And I mean, there's, I have nothing against anybody that does 20 years, you know, power to them. Um, and then some people, you know, some people just get out, you know, and, uh, and move on to bigger and better things. Now with, uh, getting out for for you like your transition and stuff like you had like you were at the air station did that kind of help you uh transition out of the military like prepare and stuff like that looking for for your next move i would i would say yes and no i think i think the biggest thing was yuma proving grounds i mean us just being there and being able to do like cross training with like border patrol and etf and just like getting to meet all these other people that you know like telling you about the work and they're all for most of it is, is they're all prior like uh, military guys. So meeting those people. And, and I think that's like the biggest thing is just networking. Like, you know, anytime you get to network and, and meet people um, is, is great for transitioning out. So being at the air station uh, was just difficult being on a shift work, trying to like plan and coordinate stuff was, was pretty tough because, you know, as a shift worker, um, they're gonna they're gonna work you until your last day like they do not care um, so it was tough and like I told that was like the biggest thing I harped on the marines that I have on my shift is like hey like you guys need like I, I tell every marine this like nobody's gonna care more about you than yourself so you need to take care of yourself um, it, it sounds selfish but like at the end of the day like if you don't take care of yourself, then, you know, nobody's going nobody's gonna to be there to, to help you with your transition or whatever you have going on in your life. Um, you, you don't always have that luxury of having those those leaders that, you know, actually care, you know, care about you. Um, and like I tell this to like everyone I meet, even if they're not a dog in there, if you're a Marine, if you need any, you know, help or questions about transitioning out or whatever it may be. I mean, you guys can reach out to me, you know, whether it's social media, if you have my phone number, um, you know, you're more than welcome to. Yeah, it's definitely good words of advice. And it's definitely true. You know, a lot of people get uh, stuck into the work mode and then focus on nothing but work. You know, I'm guilty of it myself. And then no one suffers in the end, but yourself, you know, like the Marine Corps, regardless, you know, it's a, it's a well-oiled machine, you know, and it will continue. Uh, you're replaceable. You know the Marine Corps is going to survive without without all the good people. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. They need good Marines, but uh, yeah, definitely, definitely some good words there. So with um, you exiting the Marine Corps, and now you're you're kind of on. What are you going on right now? Like out in the civilian sector, 
Yeah, so uh, I have my like my t-shirt business, apparel business, Duke uh, Exercitum. Um, it's not like my full-time thing. It's just kind of like a hobby, something I like to do. Uh, a form of, you know, being able to give back to the community. Um, I'm honestly, I, I wouldn't say I'm like, I'm great at it because I, it, it's, you know, social media is, is not something I'm like big about. Uh, I like to be active here and there, but uh, I just like to be able to, you know, like come out with some cool designs and just be able to do giveaways and give back to the community. Like I'll do fundraisers. I'll help, um, you know, give back to organizations like, the dog, uh, dogs project, MWDTSA, um, War Dogs, um, official, and then the project Canine Hero. So, like any way I can just give back to community is is, is the purpose of you know kind of like my business. Um, there, there's a lot of nonprofits out there. Um, you know, I, I've kind of thought about going that route, but I, I feel like I'm still able to help out. Um, and other ways to support them um, with fundraisers or, or just kind of doing collaborations with them. Um, so, so doing that, um, you know, I would love to, you know, grow it to where it's like bringing all the income, but, you know, maybe that's like down the road. Um, right now, I just work for a Cobra Canine, just training multi-purpose canines, um, you know, still working dogs, like, Working dogs for sure is is where I belong. Um, doing I'm I'm doing college still, uh, but it's not something I'm I'm fully you know like relying on. Like I know just dogs is kind of where where I really enjoy um, you know being at and training dogs and um, working with similar people you know that I worked with in the Marine Corps is a great experience. So. Um, like I said, just networking is, is something that is super helpful when you guys are transitioning out, uh, reaching out to people, you know, that you worked with and, um, you know, it's a small community. Canine is so small. You will run into everyone, you know, somehow, some way you'll talk to someone and then, you know, another handler will be brought up. And then next thing you know, you're FaceTiming them. It, it's such a small world and, and I love it um, because it happens yeah. all the time. And uh, like, like I said, I'm super excited about this podcast uh, because it, it's something I feel like we needed. I know there's all these different podcasts with like working dogs and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, the military canine is a uh, I would say such a tight knit small community, um, especially Marines, you know, you're just so prideful of, of what you do and Marine handlers are, are the most like they, we just feel like we're the best, like no matter what it's like, they, yep. yeah, it's always a competition. Yeah, man. It's, uh, it's definitely good. Like, um, yeah, I like, uh, I like seeing all your designs, you know, even though I can't say your name, but I'll get it down. But uh, it's, no, it's definitely, you know, it's definitely a good thing. And then it's, you know, diving into that passion and like you said, giving back to the community. So the community in general, I think is where we're, our, our heads are both at and always being, bringing like a positive light and just bringing awareness. Um, same, same thing with this podcast. And I know it's super small right now, but I'm definitely trying to, to grow it a little bit more, just super busy, but definitely going to get back to, you know, all the organizations that, like you said yourself, you know, and. Um, and get back some way, shape or form, you know, and right now it's just really bringing awareness and just documenting the history, you know, like, uh, the way the MEFs went out, 
Um, there's a lot of stories that are not told. There's a lot of handlers that did amazing things. Um, and then they have, you know, they have an opportunity to share that with everybody. And I think, you know, everyone wants to hear the stories. Everyone loves dogs. Everyone loves canine, you know, um, you know, well, men and women do phenomenal things with, with canines. And yeah, I was never a dog person myself, but working with them the last 10 years and continue to do so, you know, they're extremely capable and, uh, they, yeah, they, they blow my mind every time, you know, and they're super smart. Um, and what they do is, you know, above anything else that any other system or piece of equipment in the military arsenal. Yeah. It's, it's definitely unique to work with it. You know, like you can't, you literally have one shot, uh, to train this dog the right way and, you know, and depend on it for sure. Yeah. It's, uh, definitely, uh, a whole another ball game. Like, you know, working with dogs, it's, they're, they're more than just a tool, you know, they be, they become your best friend. And I was fortunate enough to adopt my, my, you know, military working dog, uh, Saber. He's, he's probably like laying on his bed right now, just passed out. Oh, yeah. But, um, it, it's been an experience and, you know, not a lot of people are able to do that. So it's something that I'm, you know, super thankful for is, uh, to have him and transitioning out and having him with me. Um, and like I said, like supporting those organizations, um, I was, I was able to, uh, go and support project canine hero, uh, this week, um, a year ago, kind of around this time is, uh, my service dog. He had, uh, an obstruction, um, and he had to have emergency surgery. Um, and, you know, without like thinking of anything, I just handed the vet clinic my credit card. And I was like, just as long as he's good and, and well, like, you know, I, I don't care. You know, I'll, I'll, end up, I'll pay whatever the cost is. And um, for surgery, you know, it, it didn't seal correctly. And um, it caused an infection within his, his stomach. And um, he had to go into a second emergency surgery and they went in there, they flushed everything out and, you know, everything luckily healed, uh, correctly. But, uh, the first surgery, I was, you know, just having those, those people and those friends and family in the canine community, um, support, you know, the GoFundMe that I started, you know, covered the first, uh, surgery. And then, um, you know, the, the, it was spread kind of everywhere that I got reached out by uh, Jason Johnson from Project Canine Hero. And uh, he he called me and he's like, hey, like, um, you know, saw your story. And uh, he was actually an ATF uh, instructor that went down to Yuma Proving Grounds. I want to say the second trip I was there. Oh, nice. And um, so it's a small world. And uh, yeah, they, they paid for the second surgery. And there was still some money left over from uh, the GoFundMe that, you know, I just donated all back to those, those nonprofits that, that helped out. Um, so it, it's just, just like this uh, community is so small. Um, it, it's just awesome being able to be a part of it and being able to give back and uh, just continue to see the growth of it, you know, everywhere from nonprofits to, you know, you starting up this podcast. I want to say it's, I think the only, you know, podcasts out there like this yeah 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 hopefully it gets better and it'll it'll get better over time but yeah i appreciate you you know giving me all the shout outs and stuff and linking me up with some people uh definitely super appreciative you know 
and see how it goes. Uh, before we wrap things up, got one question for you. Uh, what's your most memorable moment that you and, and Saber shared uh, throughout your career? Oh man, that's tough. On the spot. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like not a good like memory, but I remember, um, I can't remember where we were, but it was, uh, it was when I was at Pendleton with them, obviously, but Willingham came up to, uh, me and another assistee handler is like, Hey, um, there's this, uh, Beverly Hills, uh, red carpet event. If you guys want to, you know, go to it. And we're like, hell yeah. Like we'll go to this, you know, Beverly Hills red carpet event. And, um, we ended up having to get into like dress uniforms and you know, we're, we go to this place. It's not even Beverly Hills. I can't remember the place it was, but it was called like the Beverly Hills, like best in show dog show. Um, it was by, um, Purina. Um, so it was going to air on TV and, uh, you know, I get all dressed up like nice and go to this event in my uniform. We're like behind the stage. We get like this nice little, uh, lunch dinner it was a little bit late and um i'm like getting ready before like our little interview and like we're supposed to do this walk on the red carpet and and then get our interview and i'm like i'm taking my dog outside and i like i'm walking outside and like the first like celebrity person i run into is the big show you know a wwe wrestler and i'm like the inner kid in me is like i say his it's the big show you know his little theme song and i like i shake his hand it's like a little baby hand within like this giant's hand and i'm like oh my gosh like this guy's massive and uh you know take my dog out and then i go back to like where i'm supposed to uh do my interview and uh me and the other handler you know he gets interviewed first and uh, his interview goes well, and uh, my inter- I'm getting interviewed, and like anytime I get like interviewed or stuff like that, I just go like internal, like everything just like drowns <laughs> out, like everything, and I just see these like he's asking me questions. I'm so focused on like answering his questions that like like I can't hear anything else that's going on, and these people from like the stage run out into like the red carpet and they're like holding signs up. And I like, like I said, I can't hear them. Like, I'm just like, I'm, I'm looking at this guy asking me questions for the interview and I see him like go and grab his like neck and his tie, just like, you know, like how nervous people do it. And then I finally like look into where all these people from the stage are running into the, uh, the red carpet and they're like holding signs and it's like, adopt don't shop like PETA or not PETA they're like breeders kill and like oh it's it's PETA so it's like my first experience with PETA and I'm like what is going on and uh yeah they, they like security came out and everything um and I'm like what like what just happened but I'm like this whole time I'm thinking you know like this this um Purina Besson show dog show is is gonna be able to kind of like edit stuff out and like my my interview is gonna like air on on this show so like 
we get like a little viewing party like from the kennels like all right like yo we're gonna watch this like they're airing <laughs> it and like we meet up at like one of the, like my buddy's house and we're like all there's probably like 15 of us like all just like on the sectional and just like watching watch this whole show and they never air it and i was just it was like the most <laughs> awkward thing it's like <laughs> It was like I don't know I don't know why that just like popped up, but that's like the most memorable because it's like you know people talk about PETA here and there, but like that was like a crazy PETA experience. Yeah, yeah I bet. <laughs> no, that's pretty funny. Um, is there anything that you would uh, want to tell like an up and coming handler that's coming into the community, whether any service or just in canine in general? Uh, any piece oh, of man. advice for them? There's there's a lot, but I mean the biggest thing, like I said earlier, is just like ask questions like there's there's a lot of people in the community that uh, are stuck on their ways or they're stuck on their handler or their their trainers ways that like the community we, we corner ourselves that uh, you, you think that there's just one way to do something but there there's not there's there's a million ways you know to to do dog training like some and dogs are different like that's the thing like that's the thing that people don't realize so it's just being open-minded and and being able to you know oh being open being open to criticism is is the biggest thing um not having an ego is uh you know another thing as well there, there's there's so many things but i, I think those kind of hit uh the nail um and just, just asking questions, reaching out to people. I know so many handlers that, you know, have gotten out that, you know, will reach out to him, like, you know, kennels that are still active and be like, hey, if you guys have any questions or anything, like, reach out to me. So just networking. If you guys, you know, message me or email me on my personal or business page, like, I will help you guys out, like, no matter what. If you guys are close by, like, I will somehow meet you guys up. Uh, but I mean, other people that, you know, Marco reaches out to as well, like they're the same way. So a small community and and don't feel like you're just cornered into where you're at. Yeah, for sure. Good, good words there. And yeah, I agree. Like, uh, and something you said earlier too, is where I, where I like to steer people is like, understand the rhyme reason, the rhyme and reason behind everything and understand the why. And you'll never know that if you don't ask questions, Yeah try to understand things in its fullest but yeah brother it's been uh it's been a good thing yeah i appreciate you taking the time to sit down talk about canine talk about your time at the MEF, you know and then also you know all your different billets and how you know you finished off your marine corps you know down at ypg you know great course you know definitely did some good things changing it uh for the future and just unfortunately uh that course just you know got shut down with the way you know, the expeditionary MWD side kind of shut down, but you know, overall, yeah, I appreciate your insight and you know, your time just to sit down and you know, talk about stuff. Yeah, no, th- thank you for this. And, you know, I'm, I'm super excited, like I said, for your podcast and, uh, you know, thankful for you, you know, adding me to this. And I just look forward to, you know, everyone that, participates in this and hearing their story and other people hearing you know all these stories as well and just getting the history and knowledge of uh, the canine community and you know for for other handlers that have a story or, or you know their background as well like don't feel like your story is not good enough but 
it, it's just, you know, everyone wants to hear it. And especially now with the, the maps going away, it's, it's just history that needs to be, you know, written down and heard. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's definitely a lot, a lot of stuff to cover, but yeah, we'll get it in. But yeah, man, it's been good. Um, I will definitely be in touch. I'll get you back on for some other stuff. Definitely have some projects down the road. But yeah, man, it'll be good. Catch you later. All right. Sounds good, man. Take care. Magic made a positive impact everywhere he went as a Marine and continues to do so outside of the Marine Corps within the canine community. Marines like Magic are one of a kind. They see purpose, they have passion, and they are visionaries. Without Marines like Magic, the Camp Pendleton Canine Memorial wouldn't exist. And now on Canine Hill, behind the Camp Pendleton Kennels, there is a memorial to ensure those who have lost their life doing the job they love are never forgotten. As the Marine Corps shifts its focus to fight a near-peer adversary, all law enforcement battalions were deactivated as part of the Marine Corps' Force 2030 plan. With the battalions deactivated, the MEF MWD platoons were shut down, this force design initiated the shutdown of the Military Working Dog Team Deployment Training Course in Yuma, Arizona. This course was directly funded by the Marine Corps' Military Working Dog Program to support training requirements for the MEF MWD platoons. We will continue to discuss the history of the DOD's MWD program and continue the tribute to the MEF MWD handlers that spent time in the Marine Corps' Military Working Dog Program in future episodes. I hope you all enjoyed this episode. We covered a lot, and we will continue with more handler stories in future episodes. Be sure to check out Magic's Canine Apparel at Duke Exceptionitum and check out organizations like Project Canine Hero and the U.S. War Dogs Association. They provide amazing services for retired military working dogs and give back to the community by helping those deserving handlers care for their best friends. Listener support is now active. If you'd like to support the show, go to thedogsofwarpodcast.com and follow the link on the support page. For the price of a cup of coffee, you can support this show in future episodes. It would be a small monthly contribution that you can stop whenever you want. Thank you for your support, and as always, I look forward to hearing your story. Take care.